Hey, Crime Salad listeners, welcome back to another episode of Crime Salad. We're your host. My name's Ashley. And I'm Ricky. And we're so glad that you're here because we are about to dive into the darkest corners of human nature. So this week, we are covering a case that involves the Stockdale family. Maybe you've heard of them. The Stockdales seemed like your typical American family at first glance, living a rural life, deeply involved in music and religion, appearing to be a very tight-knit family. Back in 2008, their family was even on the popular ABC show called Wife Swap, if you remember that gem of a show. I love that one. Uh, There's clips all over TikTok. The little boy when he had the mom that was changing his diet. Oh, yeah, the one who was throwing away all his snacks. Yeah, yeah. He's like, I got to tell you something. Bacon is good for me. (laughs) Classic. I love it. Every time I see that video, it still makes me laugh to this day. You're the queen and we're all the sorry people. (laughs) His dad was so proud of him. (laughs) That's my son. That's that's my boy. Now, the episode of The Stockdales, which we will take a deeper look into in a few, showcased a different way of living from what you may be used to. And watching their family live their normal daily routine would make you think, well, maybe it wouldn't hurt to add a little more structure into your family's lifestyle. But close to a decade after the episode aired, things took a dark and unexpected turn in 2017. This is one of those cases that will stick with you. You know, even when you do your best to shield your kids from the harsh realities of the world, things can still take a turn, a turn you never expected. Before getting into the tragic murders that took place inside the Stockdale home, let's begin with who the Stockdales were and what their life was like. Man, you gave me chills. Oh, goosebumps. Did I for real? No, it took you 10 times a (laughs) read. No, I'm just kidding. So Tim and Catherine, or Kathy, had this kind of classic college romance story as to how they met. They met while studying agriculture. Both of them were in the same agronomy club. What's agronomy? So in this club, they would have studied soil management and crop production. Oh, sounds smart. Now, the two farm-loving souls found each other amidst the soil and the crops, and one thing led to another. They soon got married in August of 1985, and they had their four boys shortly after that. And in 1999, the Stockdales moved to a farm in Bethlehem Township, Ohio, which they called the Stockdale Family Farm. Catherine once said they moved to the country to get the boys away from the city's negative influences like violent language, sexual influences, and drugs. They wanted to raise their kids in a wholesome environment, focusing on farm work and keeping their minds pure. At the Stockdale Family Farm, save away from the hustle of the city and especially away from the negative influences, Calvin, Charles, Jacob, and James 
seemed to thrive off this life that their parents created for them. Everyone seemed to have a very strong bond. Now, along with this lifestyle came no access to things like TV, no outside food, so that meant no fast food runs or restaurant food, and no outside contact with friends or anyone, only making home-cooked meals that were processed from what they raised and grew on the farm. And the boys were expected to do the hard work that came with it, which was a lot of hard work, tending to the animals and crops and other chores. The parents wanted to teach these boys life skills, such as this, to show them that things aren't just handed to them. You have to work hard for what you want, and it has to be done right. The mother, Catherine, was a big advocate for this lifestyle. She was the head of the household, assigning chores and giving a strict schedule that kept the boys on a structured path throughout their childhood and into their 20s. This created a very disciplined household. And she even spent time to homeschool the four boys, still keeping that strict schedule and plan for success. It would be so hard to run a family this strict. I don't think I could keep up with it, honestly. If I was in her situation, if I asked you to wake up at 7 o'clock to do chores... There's no way. You would be passed out on the couch. Yeah. So yeah, you couldn't relax on the couch, you know, if it was the weekend, Sunday morning. You couldn't sleep in or play any video games. The household ran on a strict schedule from sunup to sundown. And it was a house surrounded by lots of folky bluegrass music, their love of God, and pure living. And they took every minute out of their day to do a task. So I guess you have to respect how people want to raise their kids. Everyone wants to raise them different. But personally, you can't have all work and no play. I'm a big believer in like having free time, you know, working on your goals and working and and those types of things. But you have to have all of those things to be happy. I I don't think you can just work, 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 work and, and be happy. At the same time, that's their lifestyle. Like, they're running their own farm. It would take a lot of hard work to keep up with everything, a lot of time and dedication, because they're making all of their food from the crops that they're producing, from the milk that they're producing. They harvested their own chickens. I'm sure she had their best interests in mind, but that's a hard life to live. All right, 10 seconds on the clock, Ricky. How many things can you name that are always growing? My son. Me, not my hair. And how about businesses on Shopify? Oh, those grow too. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch of your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-order stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling sleuthing supplies or marketing mystery merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Or even your new favorite crime salad t-shirt. Ooh, hint, hint. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less efforts thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And Ricky, we've always had a struggle to find a home to sell merch for the podcast. Oh, we have. 
countless nights, long tutorial hours. We've been through it all. And now we're ready to take it to the next level with Shopify. What I love about Shopify is that it simply works. I also like all the reporting stuff that they have built in. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Wow. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. We have had such an amazing experience working with them. Do you know why? Why? Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash crime salad, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash crime salad now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash crime salad. Now, living on the farm, it meant that there was always something to do. They raised their own food, they processed it, grew their own crops, their milk. They rarely bought anything from the grocery store. Catherine's daily routine was quite something. She started the day making breakfast at 7 a.m. She would wake up the boys at 7.30, and they had to be at the table in four minutes, or else they would be fined 25 cents for every two minutes they were late. If I had that rule for our older son, I'd be like, Woo-hoo. Oh my God, we'd be rolling in money. And all of these fines went into a jar. After breakfast, the boys had a list of chores and tasks. This was all week long. This wasn't just Sunday morning chores. They had chores from cleaning bathrooms to hanging laundry to making their beds. And Catherine would check on each chore to make sure that it was done correctly. And they had outside chores to complete for which they would receive these tokens that could be traded for privileges like listening to the radio or they could watch a pre-vetted movie that was, you know, selected by Catherine. So basically, the mother had a list that they could choose from? Yeah. Okay. So Catherine's schedule continues, and she starts lunch around noon, and she serves it at 1 o'clock p.m. After lunch, the boys practice their music at 4 o'clock p.m., and they have a debate lesson, which they have to pay for. You gotta pay for something you don't even want to do? Well, Catherine would say... Teaching the boys to communicate and think through an argument is a vital part of their education. It is also a good way for them to meet and learn to socialize with other young people. So what's weird about this statement, though, is they didn't socialize outside of their family, though, right? Yeah, they all kind of stuck together in their own little bubble. Well, she didn't let them go out and meet other kids and date, from what I understand. By not socializing your kids with the outside world, I feel like it's just such an injustice. What happens when they grow up and they move out? They have to work in the real world. I mean, you don't want to be 24 playing freeze tag. From my personal experience, they don't let you do that at lunch breaks. Why, you tried to get your your work friends to do freeze tag and they didn't want to do it? (laughs) Something like that. This is such a gray area, almost like a controversial topic, because the outside world is scary. How many crimes have we learned about where it's like, oh my gosh, I'm never letting my kid out of my sight. That's how I feel. And I feel like we're all still trying to figure it out. Now, a friend of theirs, Steve Todd, he described the Stockdales as the ideal loving family. And he used the words admirable and well-adjusted. 
Which, I mean, if you look at this family, you might be envious because they have everything so organized and so planned out. Now, on top of everything that kept the Stockdale family busy, they were also very involved with their own band, the Stockdale Family Band. Their band started in 2004, and they had this whole routine of singing their favorite songs while doing kitchen and farm chores. The music they created was their way of bonding. They played a mix of bluegrass, gospel, and a bit of Appalachian music, and they even threw in some comedy. The band had five pieces, a guitar, fiddle, mandolin, banjo, and a bass. I have to say, though, this is what they enjoyed doing. Like, this was their fun, for sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. And they were good, like really good. Catherine was the band manager, and she booked shows and other things. They often performed as the house band for the Amish Country Theater and various community events like community concerts, fairs, festivals, and churches. Tim, the father of his four sons, was the anchor of the band. He was the rhythm guitarist and lead vocalist and the one who would write the songs. He had been playing and singing since he was young and was known for his wide range of songs. He was extremely talented, and it's cool that he got to share his love of music with his sons and give them the skills to create music and enjoy music. And he felt like making the music with his sons was a privilege, which he seemed very proud of. Calvin, their eldest son, was the multi-instrumentalist specializing in the banjo. He also took the lead in many performances. Charles, the second oldest, played the mandolin and was known for his harmony skills and sings both bass and lead vocals. Jacob, the second youngest son, was known for turning heads when he played the fiddle. He was well known for his unique sound that was a combination of bluegrass and Ohio old-time fiddling styles, which he actually won numerous awards, including the State of Ohio Fiddle Grand Championship. And together, the family band released a few albums with one titled, Take a Little Time for Jesus. I wonder if he ever did Devil Went Down to Georgia. The Devil Went Down to Georgia. He was looking for a soul to steal. He was in a bind. He was way behind. He was looking for... <laughs> wow, damn good. I knew all the words to that song. Well, he would. Now, as we mentioned earlier, the family had their appearance on the big screen with the help of the show called Wife Swap. For those of you who might not remember or might not know of this show... It was more of a social experiment. It was about two wives from different families swapping lives for two weeks. And they usually both had vastly different backgrounds. In the first week, the visiting wife would live by the rules of the host family. And then in the second week, she would get to lay down her own set of rules that she would go by in her own home. So this created, as you can imagine, a very interesting yet entertaining show to watch, seeing the two sets of families react to the drastic changes that would come at them. Ricky liked the show. I did. I liked it. And Undercover Boss. That was good, too. And there would sometimes be conflict between the two families or sometimes laughable moments like, oh, my God, I can't believe she's making us do this. Or like the bacon thing. Total classic. Never see my face again. I honestly wish that they would keep doing this show. They should do a reboot. 
We should write to ABC and try to get on that show. Say, hey, we would love to be a part of that show. Our lives are crazy. We are total chaos over here. (laughs) Bring in, like, some super strict mom into our household. She'd lose her dang mind. We have four dogs. That's all I got to say. And a toddler who's two who's, like, literally, I caught him peeing down the steps all over the wall. We had to... On the wall, yeah. Scrub it. And he's potty training. We'll just say that. I I mean, he shot that, like, five feet to hit the wall, too. I'm proud of my boy. (sighs) And usually at the end of the show, the families would have some kind of reflecting moment. Like, maybe I should add more structure into our family, or maybe I should kind of lay back a little on how strict I am. So ABC Wife Swap, they were looking for exactly what the Stockdale family was. And when they came upon them, they had to have them on the show. They were looking for a family who was into bluegrass music and had a strong faith. Perfect, right? At the time of this episode, Catherine was aged 44 and Tim was 48. And they had their four boys, Calvin, who was 19, Charles was 16, Jacob was 15, and their youngest son, James, who was 11 at the time. We're all living at their family farm in Ohio when Catherine Stockdale switched mom roles with Lori Tonkovic, who was living with her family in Illinois and whose family's life was the complete opposite of the Stockdales. And at first, Catherine and Tim were reluctant to be on the show, but their children were very interested in it. And somehow they agreed to it, even though it was out of their lifestyle. To be honest, they don't really watch TV. That was probably like, wow, we're going to be Hollywood famous. And they have this band. Could it have been... PR move, yeah. Yeah, like, hey, I want to get our band out there. So the two families both gave a family manual. Here are a few of the highlights from the Stockdale family. Our motto is, it might be a hard life, but it's a good life. We live very traditional rules in this household. I stay home and take care of the cooking, cleaning, teaching our boys, and managing the family band. Tim, my husband, runs the farm with the boys and has a regular full-time job delivering animal nutrients to farms across the state. I am completely involved in my children's lives. I stay at home so that I can shape the way they grow up and how they are influenced. It is important for children to have boundaries. They will have to live in a world that has rules, and if they don't comply now, they're going to have a harder time later in life. It is important to be a parent first and foremost when you have children. Children are not independent people and need to be directed and guided through life. We create a safe, nurturing environment for the boys to grow up in. The first role of this house is to obey your parents. Teaching the boys respect is vital in this modern world where so many children disrespect adults. We don't tolerate any of the boys hurting each other physically or verbally and insist that if they make a mess, they clean it up. We are raising our family on a homestead where we live simply and grow our own food. We have found the combination of farm work, books and music, combined with wholesome food and a nurturing family environment to be a great foundation to raise children. This life is definitely not the easiest, but it is certainly the most rewarding. And quite opposite from the Stockdales. Here's a few things that came from the Tonkovic family manual. We're laid-back parents. 
I believe life experiences are the most important thing to shape our children. If I sheltered my kids and kept them from the world, I would be doing them a disservice. I think that a parent who micromanages everything their kids do and shelters them is awful because the kids aren't prepared for real life. The closest thing we have to house rules are for the kids to make sure none of their friends park in the driveway and that we have no tolerance for drinking and driving. We don't discipline our children because they don't listen to anything we say, and grounding doesn't work because they're too old. I consider my children's friends to be our friends as well. It's all about the open-door policy that John and I have here in the house. We want to create a place where kids are free to be whomever they want. You get the idea. Very laid back, the complete opposite of the Stockdales. So during the swap, Lori introduced the Stockdale boys to video games, TV, and junk food, which would be absolutely forbidden. During the show, Jacob ran outside the house crying when Lori offered them to play video games. And he was worried because his mom and dad would tell him to burn in hell if he ever did such a thing. As far as the two older boys, Calvin and Charles, they had a chance to go on a date for the first time, which would also be against the rules. Honestly, I kind of felt bad for him. Like, he truly believed playing video games would send him to hell. He's almost brainwashed. He broke down in tears. Yeah. And it was hard to see. And Lori, in this episode, even broke down in tears herself, thinking Mm -hmm. like, oh my goodness, these poor kids going through this strict life. Yeah, she was shocked with how they were living. Yeah, and who knows what they didn't show on camera. We don't know. Yeah. Could have been worse. And also, you you have to remember, the oldest was 19, and he had never been on a date before. It was against his parents' rules completely. You're a young adult who's never got to leave the house. But they didn't want to, even. They have these morals and, and everything instilled in them. They were apprehensive to even go on the date. But I thought it was kind of cool, like, when they actually went on the date, like, how much they opened up to it. They really seemed to enjoy the chance of freedom for once when Lori came into the picture. Lori's son was an aspiring rapper. So since the family was into music, she wanted them to have a chance to write their own song. They seemed to really have fun with this experience. And if you would like to watch this episode, you totally should because it just gives you a look into their lives before any crimes happened. It's on Hulu And it was aired on April 23rd, 2008 on ABC. And just look for the last names, the Stockdales and the Tonkovics. I liked it because it was uninfluenced by the crime narrative because it came out before it. Like when you watch a true crime documentary or something, it's it's very framed in that way. This was cool to see the pure form of the family. There was a lot of innocence in the family. Mm -hmm. You would never, ever think that anyone would harm anyone in this family like they were a team a true yeah tight-knit family meanwhile Catherine and the tongovic family were working hard on a farm and brought in a priest to discuss marriage with one of the sons paul who was sleeping in the same bed as his girlfriend To kind of give him a warning like, hey, you could get pregnant. Do you want to get married now? And she even brought in these lifelike baby dolls 
And this side of the family, they took up the idea that maybe it would be helpful and nice to help out around the house and be more responsible instead of not helping out at all and just relying on the parents. So as far as what they said at the end of the episode, they were going to continue helping out and getting jobs and adding a little structure to their lives. So Catherine helped this family out. Catherine also created a website after this show, and she included a few parenting tips that she had to write up for Wife Swap. And here's a few things that she said. This is the Stockdale's top five tips on raising a moral kid in a modern world. Moved to the countryside, city life can overwhelm morality. How committed are you to raising moral children? Country life reduces many negative influences and distractions and is a great resource for productive activities and projects. Don't oversupply your child's needs. Let them feel the need and then achieve the satisfaction of accomplishment himself. Achievement answers the question, am I good enough? Be a moral example to your children. Jesus Christ is my guide. Who is yours? Will you be your child's guide? Television, peers, violent video games, negative music? Have a strong belief system and share it with your children daily. We are Christians with a back-to-the-land mindset. No Frankenfood here, only real food for real people. Technology's place is as a servant, not master. There is more with less. Choose a lifestyle that will allow children to spend most of their time with the family. Work together, sing together, pray together, eat together, play together. Quality time cannot be manufactured upon demand. The best teaching moments are found while spending large amounts of time together, in all caps. Expect moral behavior from your children. We post the Ten Commandments at our home and try to consistently reinforce them until our children internalize them so they become their guide, too. The youngest member of the family, James, enjoyed talking to people, and he grew to be the tallest member of his family about 10 years after the episode aired on television. With 12 years of experience, James played the upright bass with ease and finesse, he is the one with a sparkle in his eye who may stir up excitement on or off the stage. He also enjoyed playing the guitar and open back banjo. So like we said, it was close to a decade after the family was featured on ABC's Wife Swap. And around this time, the two older boys moved out of the house and the band continued with a family friend, Joe Steiner. The oldest son of the family, Calvin, was working at a college and he would eventually get married and have kids of his own, and he moved out of the state. Whereas Charles, the second oldest, went off to college studying to become a doctor. They would occasionally come home to visit, and when they did, they would play some music together, but it wasn't an everyday thing for them anymore. So left at the house was Jacob and his younger brother, James, along with their parents. It's not known but we can assume that they still kept up with the farm duties and their chores, and Catherine very well kept to her strict set of rules. James, who was the youngest of the family, was around 21 at the time, so both of these boys were in their 20s, and he was hoping to go to college to study business in hopes to manage the family band. 
the family band was still a big hit, regardless of the two older boys no longer being in it. And Catherine would post videos on YouTube of Tim and his two boys playing on stage along with their family friend. The band was quite successful, keeping busy all summer long, and they were completely booked up with shows. And then a fateful day unfolded at the Stockdale home. On June 15, 2017, at 4.36 p.m., a hang-up call was made to 911 from their residence, marking the first time police ever received a call from the Stockdale household. Twenty minutes after the call, police arrived to find an unsettling scene. The front door was open, and they approached it. They noticed that a figure was in the doorway. It was then that a gunshot rang out. Inside, they found 25-year-old Jacob Stockdale on the floor with a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. Tragically, they also discovered the bodies of 21-year-old James and 54-year-old Catherine Stockdale. Jacob was transported by helicopter to the hospital. At the time of the incident, Tim Stockdale was not at home, and as far as the two older Stockdale sons, Charles and Calvin, they were in college and had already moved out. If they had been home, they could have fallen victim too. In the aftermath of the murders, the police quickly surmised that the deaths of Catherine and James were the result of a murder-attempted suicide. There wasn't an extensive investigation into their deaths as circumstances appeared clear. The police found that a 20-gauge shotgun, believed to be used by Jacob, was at the scene. It was theorized that Jacob may have waited for the police to arrive before attempting suicide. Tim Stockdale indicated to the police that there was no apparent issues leading up to this incident. However, the motive behind Jacob's actions remained a mystery, with only speculation to fill the gaps. On June 19th, Calvin Stockdale, one of Jacob's brothers, issued a family statement. He revealed that Jacob was in critical condition, but expected to recover. Calvin expressed the family's love and forgiveness for Jacob and requested prayers for his recovery in all aspects. In remembrance of Catherine, Tim described her as a devoted mother and grandmother, passionate about natural health, organic farming, and her Christian faith. Charles, another of Catherine's sons, remembered her as a strong, outspoken leader, skilled in organic farming and theology, whose influence led him to earn a doctorate degree. By August 2017, Jacob, still hospitalized with brain injuries, was expected to face murder charges. In late September of 2018, after being found in sufficient health, he was formally indicted for murder. Jacob survived a severe traumatic brain injury from the incident, resulting in blindness in his left eye and multiple metal fragments permanently lodged in his head. For a time, he was unable to communicate or walk. Remarkably, Jacob claimed to have no memory of the events that transpired on that tragic day in June. He took a shotgun shot to the head and survived. That's crazy. 
Very. Jacob's path to his plea was complex. After turning himself in, he pleaded not guilty. He was found competent to stand trial, but later, additional exams were ordered to determine his mental state during the incident and his current competency. Eventually, he pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. While in a state psychiatric facility, Jacob underwent treatment for his depression and participated in restoration activities to help him become competent for trial. He even tried to escape twice from the facility, though he was eventually deemed competent to stand trial. However, in 2021, he was moved back to jail and told he could no longer use the insanity defense. In April of 2021, Jacob, then 28 years old, pleaded guilty to the murders of his mother and brother. He was sentenced to 30 years in prison, 15 years for each murder, to be served consecutively. The family, including his father, Tim, wrote letters asking for leniency, but the judge had to prioritize public safety. Tim's statement read by the prosecution reflected on the loss of Catherine and the talents and aspirations that James had. A family member wrote about forgiveness, believing that Catherine and James would have forgiven Jacob. Now, as for Jacob, he didn't make a statement during his sentencing. His attorney noted the family support and forgiveness for Jacob's actions. There was an interview done with Lori Tonkovic. If you remember, that's the other mom during Wife Swap. And during this interview, she speculated that the extreme strictness and lack of freedom in the Stockdale household may have contributed to Jacob's mental state and ultimately led him to commit the murders. So although his reactions are all speculation, it does make you wonder if there was dangers brewing inside this extremely restrictive upbringing. So one thing about this case that puzzles me, was he meaning to kill his whole family or was this some psychotic episode where he just freaked out and killed his mom and James, his younger brother, just because they were there? It's just so out of character. And I know they're older than when he was actually in the show, so a lot could change, but it just seems so out of character. Yeah. I wonder what he was thinking at the time. Like you said, was he just trying to completely end this restrictive life? Because, I mean, at this time he was around 20 years old. Or did something maybe happen, like an argument or something? Yeah. Did something happen for Jacob to react Right. We'll never know because the only ones that were there were Jacob, his mother, and James. But what doesn't make sense to me is if it were something like that, it would be mother-specific. Like, why kill James? Again, we don't know what happened, but James is a victim too, right? If it's something where the lifestyle is holding them back from the life they want to live or they're extremely unhappy, why kill the other victim, your brother, that kind of makes me think that it was just this outburst. And he says he doesn't remember what happened at the time because maybe he's like was in this weird state of mind. It's hard, too, because the only comparison that we have is the wife swap episode. But he was, what, like 14 years old at the time. Mm -hmm. Huge age difference. So we don't know, like, if he changed or whatever. But 
Like his father Tim said, there was no warning signs leading up to this. Well, that's what they said. That's what they said. They're also a super private family. Yeah. But the other comparison that we have is him in court. And I remember specifically in some of the videos we watched, the judge asked him, like, what is your name? Uh, Do you know where you are? Mm Mm-hmm. He didn't reply in some of them. And then it would cut to the next day where he actually replied. So it was like, okay, we can actually do this in court. Mm -hmm. So it's you don't have a good comparison between the two because he's a very altered version of himself after the the failed suicide. If I had to assume either something happened or with what Ms. Tonkovic was talking about, with the strictness of the household, maybe he just had enough of it. Doesn't make it right, but I guess we'll never know. So as of now, Jacob Stockdale is serving his sentence at the Chillicothe Correctional Institute in Ohio. He won't be eligible for parole until September of 2048 when he'll be 56 years old. It's a somber ending to such a tumultuous story. As for the rest of the Stockdale family, they seem to be doing their best to move forward. Tim, the father, continues to express his thoughts and beliefs on social media, focusing on his life and religion and bluegrass music. There were a few YouTube videos that they posted of the two older boys playing music. One in particular is a Christmas song, I'm assuming that they wrote, and they're playing it together with their dad, Tim, and their kids. It seems like they decided to create a less strict home for them. So they didn't continue with the strict schedule that their mom had. It's also weird, though, you mentioned Tim uses social media. Like, that sounds so foreign coming from the type of family that they were. That's true. That's a good point. And one thing that I thought was cool, too, was that the song that they created, they even had a line in there that mentioned the kids watching TV and playing with toys. So it seems like They really stepped away from this strict lifestyle and they were moving forward in a positive way, which is really nice to see because that's just got to be really hard. Yeah, or at least altered it. They may still have the same values, but it seems like they definitely did loosen up. Mm -hmm. Talking about this story, it really hits home how complex family dynamics can be and how mental health issues can sometimes go unnoticed or unaddressed until it's too late. Now, we don't know specifically, or we may never know what led up to or triggered that fateful day in June of 2017, but this story is a stark reminder. If you are ever in a situation where you feel like you don't know what to do, where to go, or how to move forward, there is always help available, and you're not alone. There's this really, really cool lifeline that is called 988, and it's a suicide and crisis lifeline for people living in the U.S. You can either text, call, or chat online, and they provide round-the-clock, so 24-7, professional assistance, providing confidential support for people in need. It also provides valuable resources for both prevention and crisis situations, catering to both individuals and their loved ones. So you can simply text a message to 988 to get a hold of a professional in a crisis. In sharing this story, I hope to honor the memory of Catherine and James Stockdale and acknowledge the complex and painful journey the family has had to endure. 
is a story that's both heartbreaking and eye-opening, reminding us of the fragility of life and the hidden struggles that many families face. And I'd also like to say, even though we disagreed with some of the parenting choices throughout the episode, Catherine was a loving mother. She cared deeply about her family, and this was something that that should have never happened. I agree. Thank you all so much for tuning into this week's episode. Next week, tune in for some more Crime Salad. Also, the reviews have been awesome. We've been getting some really cool reviews. So if you haven't reviewed us, please do. Like, send us a review. Try not to be mean. We're very sensitive people over here. Very fragile. Handle us with care. (laughs) (laughs) No, but thanks to everyone who's listening. Thanks to everyone who's been reaching out on Instagram. I want to throw out a little hint here. I think we're going to do a limited merch drop soon. Once we figure that out. Yeah. Pretty soon. But if you've noticed, crimesalad.com is, we can't get that website. We can't get that domain anymore because it seemed to slip right underneath our fingertips. It it did. It did. I Uh, think it's what, like (laughs) 10 grand if we want it? Yeah. So we did have crimesalad.com. Yeah. So we had crimesalad.com. At the Um, very beginning. We lost it for like a couple days. Someone swooped in, <laughs> bought it. Yeah, whoever you are, listen, we're not giving you that 10 grand. No, kidding. we're going to change that name. Fun stuff. Oh, also, we went to a basketball game, our son's in high school. I went to the bathroom and they asked you, they were like, why is Ricky always wearing shirts that say crime salad? <laughs> I don't know. He's kind of weird. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> but yeah, hint, hint, coming soon. To a website near you. That we haven't figured out yet. But it will be figured out after this episode, right, Ricky? Maybe. I get to work. Bye. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.